when you're trying to scale, it's stressful. When you're trying to stabilize your business, sometimes it's stressful. Like everyone's not trying to necessarily scale. Sometimes we're just trying to get our head above water, but we need people to support us in that because no one is born knowing how to do all things in business. And the one thing that you don't want to really mess up, especially in your earlier years, is your finances in your legal situation. Hi there, it's Sewa, and welcome to a winter refresh of episode 55 of the She's Off Script podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who've created unique blueprints for success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. In today's episode, we meet Kendra James Anderson, also known as the Finance Femme. If you're a business owner who would just rather not dig into your numbers or just dread tax season in general, listen to this. After whipping one of her client companies into shape, Kendra both catapulting their revenue from $200,000 to $1 million. As a virtual CFO, Kendra not only helps to organize her clients' finances, but also helps them to plan their money moves as they level up. Even if you're not ready to hire a virtual CFO, in this episode, Kendra shares some tips you can use to organize your company for success. Before we hear the rest of Kendra's story, I would love it if you would subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes. This will help to spread the word about our podcast so amazing stories like Kendra's can continue to inspire women looking to launch their own off-script journeys. With that, let's go off-script with Kendra James Anderson. Kendra James Anderson, welcome to She's Off Script. How are you today? I am doing great. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm so excited to have you on the show. But for the listeners who haven't heard of you or the finance femme, could you share who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I am the owner of the finance femme, which is a financial consulting firm. Um, We support women entrepreneurs in all things um, accounting, finance, and tax, and I'm the virtual CFO. So I help women um, grow their businesses, uh, get structure, scale, some operational support. Um, Basically, we just love to do all things in the back end of a business, helping women entrepreneurs, um, you know, grow, grow and scale their, their businesses. What was life like for Kendra growing up as a little girl who loved numbers and loved writing grocery lists in Excel for her mom? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, life was, um, life, it was great. I mean, I I think, um, both my parents are very structured, like analytical type of people. My mom is an accountant. My dad is an engineer, my big sister and brother engineer. So we, you know, the household was definitely very, you know, we were a spreadsheet family, just put it that way, right? So I didn't feel, you know, awkward about it or anything. It was definitely just um, something that I was always doing. But, um, but yeah, I mean, life was it was great. And I went to Clemson, and I knew as soon as I got to Clemson, I knew I wanted to go into accounting and find. Well, really, finance. I'll be completely transparent. Finance. The reason why I minor in accounting was solely because it just makes me more marketable. Um, I really don't enjoy accounting that much, um, but the, but yeah, I went to school for finance and accounting and um, knew from the beginning that that's, that's what I wanted to do. So it, it worked out really great. I know you also loved your corporate job just because yeah. that's the, the type of background you came from as far as finance and accounting. And you were very focused on climbing the ladder, but I know I've heard you say you were also really bored and were getting your work done like in half the time. 
So had you not stumbled across your first client, you know, what was your plan to shake things up? No, that's a really good question. I don't even know that I necessarily had a plan. I think I just assumed that that was kind of what it was. Like that was just mm. corporate life and, you know, you just climb. And, and I think what happens, at least with a lot of like girlfriends and things that I talk to that are still climbing the corporate ladder, it's like the assumption almost is, well, if you're bored in what you're doing now, that means you're ready for the next level. Like you're ready for that next promotion. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, if you're, you know, not stressed at your corporate job, then go to the next level, you know, and it's like, wait, no, that's not necessarily the path you have to take. Um, so I, I don't know that entrepreneurship was ever a thing that I thought I was going to go into. I had tried starting a business. Um, you know, a few years before I started the finance firm, I tried to start a, um, an e-commerce business. I was actually selling natural hair care products. Mm -hmm. And when I dabbled in that, I was like, this is not, I do not enjoy this because that wasn't my passion, right? But at right. the time I didn't know. I was just like, if somebody's going to pay you for something, you can create a business around it. And um, so I thought that's what entrepreneurship was. So I was like, if that's what entrepreneurship is and I didn't enjoy it, I was like, nope, I'm going to stick in corporate. Um, so my path was just, or my thought process was just stay in corporate, continue to climb that ladder. And then like you mentioned, that first client just kind of fell on my lap and it went from there. But otherwise I would probably still just be in corporate climbing that ladder. So could you talk to us about the moment when you knew that it was time to go off script and start your own company? Yeah, absolutely. When I, um, so to your point before, I loved working in corporate, right? I loved the bosses that I was working for. So it wasn't like I was trying to desperately just like get out. But what happened was I had just moved to Dallas. I moved um, or I went downtown to a, a local boutique and I went in to go shopping and, you know, the owner was striking up conversation and she was just like, um, you know, what do you do? And so I told her I was working in finance and she you know, asked me to help her. And I thought she meant like, come back, you know, in a couple of weeks, help her accounting team, you know, get things in order. And no, she was like, no, I need you come back there right now and like, help me. And so I went back there expecting again, an accounting team or something. And it was just her. And so after working with her, um, probably about a month or so and seeing like just the huge transition in her business, which then obviously then impacted her life, right? Because when you're a small business owner and that's your livelihood, if it's hurting, you're hurting. Um, and so when I saw that impact to her in that very short period of time, I knew like instantly like, okay, wait a second. Have I just been basically going through like paid training, this 10 years in corporate, was that just like paid training to help women like this, you know, and mm-hmm. growing their business? And that's when the light bulb kind of went off. And from there, it just, it just snowballed. So when you look back, what are some of those milestones or iterations you went through to get your company from what it was back then to what it is now as the finance fan? Oh, that's a good question. Because <laughs> I think a lot of people think that, you know, they see your business two, three, four, five years later, and they think that's how it's always been. But yeah, there's been several iterations. And I think, you know, just from refining the actual service, because initially the service wasn't a virtual CFO service. It was more like a um, like an accounting or a strategy service. And so we did iterations of the, the service itself. Um, there's been different iterations of the team. You know, do we have more, um, do we bring more accountants on? Do we bring tax professionals on? So I think that, you know, while there's been several um, different versions of the same business as it grows, it's all about pivoting. And like pivot is, is literally a word that I have written up on the wall in the office because entrepreneurship and your ability to have a 
um, a sustainable business and a long-term business that have that longevity, you have to know how to pivot. You can't be mm. scared of the obstacles or like try to dodge them. You have to learn how to pivot and maneuver around them and within them sometimes. And so that's literally what's happened in the business. And while all those um, iterations have happened, it's just the evolvement and the moving around the different obstacles and things that pop up because they will pop up. I know that's the truth. Whenever people first come into something, if the first version doesn't work, they automatically want to say, okay, I give up. I guess this isn't for me. But I love that you have highlighted how many different pivots you had to do to get to where you are today. So kind of walk us through it. When you first started with the first client and you thought, I'm just going to help her out, she starts to refer you to her other business friends and you, you start to take them on. At that point, you're not necessarily the Kendra James you are today, right? So how did you then organize yourself to think, okay, this needs to be a more structured business? What did that transition look like for you? Yeah, I think for me, um, it was just listening to the customer, right? Listening to what what is like resonating with them and what's kind of like, and eh, they're not really getting any value out of that. And then having to adjust and say, okay, let me, let me tweak this. Um, so like an uh, actual, like real life example is when I first got out of really one of the first, maybe not the first client, but one of the first few clients, um, I used to, she needed help putting together a, um, what I would consider like a financial model or a projection for a big launch that was happening. And so that's like my jam. Like, oh, you want me to build something in Excel? Like, okay, I'm about to just like go in. And so I built this huge complex model and I was so proud of it. It had all the bells and whistles and functionality in it. And I go to share it with her and she was just kind of like, okay, like, what, what do I do with this? Like, it, it was not impressing her at all because she didn't understand it. It was like, she's like, what is this? And so I realized like one of my big lessons in, in this firm, which has been, you know, meet your client where they are. It's not about trying to impress them and do all the things. It's about trying to help them. Like at the end of the day, that spreadsheet does nothing if they don't, if they can't utilize it. And so I think particularly for those of us who come from corporate and use our corporate experience in our business, um, it can sometimes be hard because we're used to having to do a certain skill set um, that, you know, like I'm used to putting together these huge financial projections and my boss is like, yes, the more complex, mm -hmm. the better. And that, that was the route that I was going then, but I had to, to change the way I was thinking um, and remember who I'm supporting. Um, and yeah, so a lot of the, the changes and pivots happened just from listening to the customer and realizing what was working and what wasn't. Mm, yeah. Consider your audience, really. It's not about what makes you feel good and makes you feel like you're doing a good job, but it's what makes them feel like they're being validated and supported. I absolutely, absolutely. love that. So before we go much further, though, could you tell us exactly what a virtual CFO is and how to know when we're ready to hire one? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So a virtual CFO is, so a lot of times people get kind of caught up between accountant and CFO and CPA and all of these different things. So the way I kind of like to explain it is an accountant is somebody who um, tracks all of your financial transactions. So, and, and basically properly classifies them so that you're compliant. So that at the end of the year or at the end of the month, at the end of the week, even, if you want to look at your financial activity, you can say, I spent money here, here, and here. I made this much in income. They're able to take all of those transactions and organize them in a fashion that you can, um, you can use them, right? To understand what's happened in the past. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're, they're looking at past transactions for the most part. A CFO then comes in and takes that information from the accountant and says, okay, now that I know where you are currently, let's talk about where you want to bring this business, where you want to go. And they create that strategy to get you from A to B. So where accounting is more back-focused, Uh, finance is more future focused. It's a lot more strategic, which is why we build a lot of projections and models and things like that to help use um, your current day data to project what the future is going to look like. So with that being said, you don't necessarily need to go the route of bringing on a CFO unless your accounting is in order, right? Because if we can't, we can't project the future if we don't know what today is looking like. So within my firm, we have an accounting department. So we do all of that together, but Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to necessarily go the route of bringing on a CFO unless you for sure have the accounting in order. And then the other piece is unless you're about to prepare for something, um, some kind of shift in your business. If you're good with where you are and you're not necessarily trying to grow it or trying to streamline anything, then you don't necessarily need that strategic partner of a CFO in your business. You can be great with having an accountant as your advisor. But if you're about to go from two brick and mortar locations to three, or you want to hire a big team, or you're trying to go from, you know, 200K a year to a million a year, like you want to bring on a um, a CFO at that point to help you figure out what that strategy looks like and give you the step-by-steps on how to get there. Got it. Got it. So many of our listeners are either side hustling or on the verge of going full-time with that side hustle. So from your experience working with startups, what are the first few things you would advise them to do to lay a good financial foundation for their new businesses? Yes. So, so for one thing I would definitely say is if you are considering like leaving your, your nine to five to go and Mm -hmm. grow your side hustle full time is you want to create an exit strategy. So you don't want to just say, okay, my side hustle is making about what my full-time job is paying me per month. I'm going to leave. Like you don't want to just do that, right? You want to mm-hmm. really map out an exit strategy because again, you know, if you're, let's say you're, you're bringing home 6K a month in income from your job, right? After health insurance, after all the things you're actually netting $6,000 a month. Well, if your business is bringing in $6,000 a month, that's not the equivalent because you haven't paid for any of those business expenses yet. You haven't paid for your health insurance yet. You haven't paid for any of that yet. You haven't paid taxes yet. So you want to um, really map out Um, what that plan is before you actually then leave. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's for those who are really trying to transition into their business full time. But regardless, even if you want to keep your business as a side hustle and just grow it on the side, you want to, I'm a firm believer in starting with the end in mind. So you want to know what is your goal? Is your goal to have this side hustle to bring you additional income, like, you know, five, 10K a month, a couple of grand a month? Or is your goal to, is it more purpose driven? And it's not even necessarily tied to a revenue goal, but it's just tied to serving a certain community or a certain group of people. Um, but if you know what that is, then it can give you intention in what you're doing. And you're not just like doing it because it's a good hashtag right now, like side hustle, you know, like mm-hmm. you're doing it for a purpose. Um, we have limited time, money, limited resources. And so you want to make sure that you're only doing things with intention um, so that, you know, so that you're not wasting those, those limited resources. Okay. If we do have some businesses out there that are already generating a good amount of cash flow, but they just don't feel like they could afford your services yet as a virtual CFO, is there a good DIY tool or an approach they can use while they're still growing? 
Yeah. The first thing I would say is look at your, the income that's coming in. So let's say that you're a coach or a consultant and you have, let's just say three different packages. Mm -hmm. So look at your three different packages and see how much income you're actually making from those three different packages and see, is it worth it to still have three? Or maybe you need to just piece it down and pare it down to two. You know, look at how, like, which ones are actually generating the amount of income based on the amount of time that you're putting into it and, and really see if you need to focus in. Same thing on product-based businesses. If you have 20 different SKUs, see if only three, four or five of them, typically that's the case you know, your top 20 is producing 80% of your revenue. See if you want to just focus in on those. A lot of times when we create a business and we start making a little bit of money, we're like, okay, well, let me add another SKU to it or let me add another product or service to it. And then our, our resources, again, they start to kind of thin out. And so my number one thing for those who are trying to grow their business, um, whether again on the side or whether you're in it full time, is focus on that top 20%. Focus on the the what's really revenue generating, go deeper there and it'll be easier to have that pick up and grow quicker versus trying to always add in new things that require, you know, a little bit more work and massaging to get to grow. Um, just focus where what's on what's already working. Mm. So you mentioned adding new SKUs as soon as you see something is working. Um, I know I've heard that cash flow management is a big pain point for small businesses, especially as they're starting to grow. So how have you seen retail-based businesses manage inventory just so that they can have enough money to match the demand that they have on their products? Yeah, for for, um, product-based businesses, I always suggest having a purchases budget. So having a specific designated amount of money every single month that you can spend on replenishing inventory. Now, obviously, what inventory that you purchase is going to shift depending on what's running low, right, and what you need. But you have a designated amount of money that you spend every single month and you set that money aside throughout the month as you're earning income. So let's say that that purchases number is $3,000 a month. Well, as you're making sales throughout the month, you're putting aside money towards that $3,000 bucket so that when the next month starts over, you have $3,000 in there. So you can mm-hmm. do that where you're you know, putting $1,500 every two weeks or you can $750 a week or whatever you want to do to get to that $3,000, but you're setting that aside throughout the month. And then when the month starts over, you have it there to spend. Um, but it's giving you a specific amount of money to... Um, to allocate towards inventory, it can get out of out of control really fast. And next thing you know, you might have you know a bunch of inventory sitting on the shelf. And inventory on the shelf is cash. Like it's, it's look at it as bundles of cash, right? And so you don't want it sitting on the shelf. And also the thing with inventory to be um, aware of is that you might think that you have, yes, it's cash. I have inventory sitting on the shelf. I get that it's cash, but I'm going to be able to sell it at some point. But here's the thing: we're in this era of fast fashion and Amazon Prime and all of that. We no longer work where we can have a ton of inventory on the shelf. We have to roll it out because anything can change in the marketplace. We're now all of a sudden, you know, we're banning the color green because somebody said something on Twitter and now it's like, oh, cancel green. And now you have all this green stuff sitting on your shelf. So you really want to be aware of how you're churning through your inventory in a product-based business and not having it sit on shelf. Hmm. Wow. Cancel culture is so real and you never really think about the impact it has on small businesses. Seriously. So at this point, I know there are a lot of businesses that are also thinking about um, next steps as far as, okay, now I am 
ready to work with someone like Kendra? How does that actual relationship work once you onboard a company? Yeah. And it's, it's, it kind of depends on the needs. So because we handle accounting and taxes and finances, Mm -hmm. I mean, it really can go as, as um, deep as that client needs. So for the, for the majority of our clients, um, what that looks like is we will take over whatever bookkeeping or accounting work has been done previously. So let's say you were working with a bookkeeper and you, you know, you're either unhappy with their service or you just didn't know what they were doing throughout the year. That's about 90% of the clients that come into us. They're like, I was working with a bookkeeper. I haven't talked to them in a year. I don't know what's going on. And so we'll, the first step is we'll take that over and we'll clean everything up. We'll get everything compliant and making sure that it was uh, properly recorded. And then we'll start the process of strategy work. So now that we've gotten that foundation of knowing where your business is, because we've cleaned up your accounting records, we can say, okay, well, here's where you are. Where will you like to go? And then myself and my team will sit back and we'll lay out the plan to get there. And then we'll just start working the plan. And so whenever we have our weekly calls or our biweekly or monthly calls, we're talking about where we are to that plan. We're talking about the pivot because there will be a pivot. And it's just figuring out when we have to pivot, what does that look like? How do we get that back to um, so that we're on track to where we want it to go? Um, whether that means you know hiring someone new for your team to help you do you know do something, we'll help you with that. We'll help you figure out the budget um, for this new person. What that job description needs to look like. Help you with the interview process. Um, so yeah, we can go as deep as as needed for the client. Our whole goal is to just support and growth. So when you're trying to scale, it's stressful. When you're trying to stabilize your business, sometimes it's stressful. Like everyone's not trying to necessarily scale. Sometimes we're just trying to get our head above water, right. but we need people to support us in that because no one is, bur- is born knowing how to do all things in business. And you know, the one thing that you don't want to really mess up, especially in your earlier years, is your finances and your, your legal you know, your legal situation, right? You want to make sure you have your contracts and all that kind of stuff in place. Um, so yeah, we, we definitely help on all the different aspects of that arena. Back to stability and scaling. I mean, I know some of our favorite brands constantly have, they're out of stock of our favorite products. And I know you also deal with streamlining operations. In your experience, what have you found to be maybe a couple of root causes of companies always being out of stock of specific things and how can we work to rectify issues like that? Yeah. And I'll say sometimes out of stock issues is a marketing tool. So I definitely um, have seen and know of, you know, a few times where it's, it's like, it's marketing. Like let's, you know, let's be out of stock on this thing so that we can pile up the inventory so that we can then have a closeout. Right. Um, You got to sometimes make people really miss something to get them to then buy something. So sometimes it's a marketing tool, sometimes it's not. And I don't necessarily always agree with that as a marketing tool. Um, but if it's generally or genuinely a problem, then I would say, you know, it typically happens because people are not looking at their metrics um, or they're not looking at their inventory reporting, right? And so if you're unaware of what's about to um, be popular in your business or a top item in your business, then that can really hurt you. And so one thing that, um, I always say that we got to get familiar with with our business is our own business's seasonality. And so a lot of times, you know, folks will start a business and, you know, let's say you're starting off and you're making a couple of grand a month, you know, two grand a month, three grand a month. Then all of a sudden you have a a 15K month and you're like, oh, I'm going to be a 15K forever. Like, this is great. Well, it might've just been that you had a, a really nice summer item 
July hit, you mm-hmm. hit 15K, but when it starts to get cooler again, your sales might go down because you had a summer item, right? And mm-hmm. so, you know, we have to factor all of those different things in. But at the end of the day, I always say it's not just about looking at your financials to give you advice on how to run your business. It's about looking at your metrics. So if you have an out-of-stock issue, it's because you're, you're potentially not looking at um, the trends in your sales reports at the SKU level or at the category level to know what is about to happen because your numbers will tell you. We just have to look at them and we have to know how to read them. But your numbers will absolutely tell you what's about to happen. Mm, okay. And I guess in your first year, you kind of have to feel it out and ride the wave and then the next year you can start to build projections off of what has happened in the past. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And even in the first couple of years to, to that point, in the first couple of years, you might not, it might not be what your, your true trend is going to actually end up being. So I'll say, even look at the market. Don't only look at your business. So if you're in retail and you have a business that sells, you know, some kind of seasonal item, see if there's a business out there that's similar, that's publicly traded and pull their financial reports. You know, pull it and see like, well, what's happening with them? Even if they are a $3 billion organization, there's a lot of information that you can glean from their financial reporting about just industry trends in general. You know, if you're about to have a, um, a business that's selling handbags, you can go and look at a business that's selling handbags regardless of their revenue size and get information about that market, that demographic, that audience. Um, So because to your point, the first couple of years, it might not be what your trends are going to be forever because you're just Mm -hmm. kind of tweaking things. Um, But you do at least want to start looking at them. Okay. So now I do want to switch a bit to the business of actually having a virtual CFO business, especially for others out there who want to create a virtual service-based business of their own. Could you give us an idea uh, of how your business is structured today? Yeah. So we are a 100% virtual team. Um, So I have a couple of accountants, a couple of CPA, well, one CPA, one EA, um, a finance manager. We are all virtual. My operations manager actually is the only person who's local. I'm in in the Dallas area. She's also in the Dallas area. And uh, when I hired her, I hired her to be in office. And we were in office together for maybe two or three months before we realized we don't need to be in office together. Like it's just pointless. We're just sitting here. We actually got less work done when she was in office because we're just talking about all kinds of things. (laughs) Virtual, (laughs) So it's 100% virtual firm. Like, Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, we love it. We do all of our meetings via go-to meeting. Um, we use a project management tool, uh, currently we're using Basecamp. And I think that the big thing with working virtually, whether with, you know, whether you, with, whether it's with your clients or whether it's with your team or both is um, time management and project management. Like there has to be some type of a system where everyone can see what all the different projects are and where everything lives. So that's kind of the project management side, but then everyone has ownership of their time. And so that is definitely a big piece of, um, of being able to work virtually is like, you gotta be able to hold yourself accountable to your, to your time. Absolutely. The Netflix is just there and readily available. So (laughs) if you're not disciplined enough, you can get yourself in trouble. For sure. For sure. And, And even as like business owners, it can be a little scary sometimes to hire people virtually, um, who haven't had virtual experience because you have that concern, right? And so mm-hmm. like even my dad, when I was hiring for a position, I told him, I gave him the rundown of the position and I was like, yeah, it's going to be virtual. 
And he was like, well, what do you mean? Like, how, how are you going to know what they're doing all day? I'm like that I'm virtual, you know, it can happen. Like, you know, people will will work hard for you and and do what they're supposed to do. But it is about finding that right person because it's not for everyone. It is not for everyone. And for some people, it just takes time. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's not that it's not for them ever. Maybe it just takes some time to get used to it and get acclimated to it. But, um, but yeah, working virtually, it's, 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 it's a skill. (sighs) Hmm. So tell us about how, like, who, who was your first hire? Cause it sounds like you have a fairly robust team now. So how did you start to build them together? And especially from a revenue perspective, how did you know that you were financially ready to take on people? Cause now you're respond, now you're responsible for their well being, right? Yeah, no, good question. So the very first hire that I had was actually on a part-time basis and she's still with me today. She's my lead accountant. She's our accounting manager. Um, and so I just knew, so when I first got my very first client, we were doing finance work, but again, it's kind of going back to what we talked about before the accounting has to be good in order for me to do what I do on finance. And I didn't mm-hmm. enjoy accounting. I can do it, but I didn't enjoy it. So I was like, I'm outsourcing this accounting part. I want to do the fun finance stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I found an accountant. And so she was doing the accounting work and I was doing the finance work. And that just happened, you know, continued to happen as we continue to grow out the business. Um, so for me, as far as financially, I, it was almost like I knew I had to make it work because I'm not going to do work that I don't enjoy. Like I would much rather invest in someone who thrives in that area and can bang that out in an hour versus, you know, hate it over five hours, you know, dreading it. So that's the kind of person that I am. Some people I know might be a little harder to to let go of that money to do that, but I definitely suggest it if the finances are there um, because it frees you to, to really work in your zone of genius. And, and, and what will end up happening is you'll be making more money in your business because you're focusing on the things you enjoy doing. You can then bring on more clients doing the things that you enjoy. Um, so yeah, but that was my very first hire, my accounting manager. And, and it just kind of grew from there. Mm. I think I'd read a caption you posted on Instagram about just being mindful about how you set up your business from the start. So you're not creating a job for yourself where you're tethered to things that you really hate to do, but you're, you're dependent on having them done to make money. Right. Right. So it sounds like you're actually, you actually did what you're preaching. You you outsourced. Because I didn't in other arenas, right? Mm. Because with like social media and all of that, like I struggled through it for so long on my own trying to be like, okay, well, no, I'm going to save money on this because I can, I can get this done. And then I finally gave in and got a social media manager and my whole life changed. <laughs> I was like, wait, I don't have to be on Instagram 30 times a day, you know? And so, so yeah, it's definitely, it really is about building a business that you love. We don't want to just go into business to just create a business. Like you Mm -hmm. want to, it's, it's yours to build. So if it's yours to build and you have complete ownership over it and control over it, why not build it a way that into a way that you want Mm -hmm. create, create and craft the day and the schedule and the life that you want with your business. Um, but you have to do it intentionally. Otherwise it will just create itself, right? It's like you put a baby out there. If you don't love on that baby and guide that baby, that baby is just going to go, right? It's the Mm -hmm. same thing with the business. Um, So you just have to be very intentional about it and make sure that you're creating a business that you enjoy and not just a job that you dread. So sometimes when we're building a business, sometimes we're head down and we don't see the big picture. And we don't see that there are certain things that we need to change. So did you 
hire a business coach? Did you get some guidance along the way that kind of pointed you in the direction of, hey, it's time for you to outsource? Yeah, that's a good question. I've had a couple of business coaches and I've definitely invested in a couple of coaching programs. Um, and I'm a big um, like book person, even if it's not reading the full book. Like if somebody mm-hmm. says that they love the chapter of something, like I'm going to go and read that chapter. I'm going to go to Barnes and Noble. I might not get the whole book, but I'm going to read that chapter and make right. my notes. Um, but I think as far as the outsourcing part, that was something that just from the very beginning, I knew that I had to do because because I know that I'm the type that if I don't enjoy it, like I'm just not going, to, I'm going to procrastinate. Mm-hmm. I will absolutely procrastinate if I don't enjoy doing something. And it was, you know, causing the business to be stagnant with the, with the social media, for example, it caused it to be stagnant. Um, I had a big like coaching program that we put together and we had a video that had to get done and all of this stuff. And I was like, if I'm responsible for doing this, it will never get launched. So I knew I had to outsource it and hire somebody who was better at it. Um, And I also think, though, that it has something to do with the fact that I'm in finance. I know how to read my financials. So I know I'm not scared of making the investment because I know my numbers enough to know that it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. So I do think that that has a big piece of it because I I think more of us would outsource if we knew that financially we're going to be okay to do that. And actually it's going to put us in a better place to do that. Exactly. So I would definitely say if anyone's feeling kind of like, ooh, is this the right time for me to outsource this or outsource that, help, you know, consult with an accountant, consult with a, a business strategist or a CFO to see if now is the time to do that. But, um, but yeah, I would definitely say, you know, outsourcing is, is what you got to do when you're first starting out your business. Agreed. And so you had also talked about how your first few clients came by way of recommendation. So once those recommendations start to dry up, how did you then set up a pipeline of clientele for yourself? Yeah, we um, really social media. Like initially it was it was social media. um, And that was pretty much all that it was. And And I don't even know that I necessarily thought that it was to drive clients. I just thought at the time it was a brand thing. Like, you know, if people ask you, what do you do? And you show them your website. And then the next question is like, oh, well, what's your Instagram? And now really it's almost like the inverse. It's like, well, what's your Instagram? And then it's exactly website, right? Mm -hmm. So at the time I was building social media more so because I thought I had to, because I thought it was like the new business card. Um, But I found out that that really did drive a lot of, um, a lot of traffic. And so um, yeah, but that's really where the, where the social media part came about. And then marketing has still to this day, a lot of it is word of mouth with current clients or, um, just through our social media network. Mm. So I know when Instagram had its glitch, you know, the, its first glitch, cause yeah. there've been others since everyone was all about, Oh, build your email list and yeah. find other ways to get clients. Don't depend on someone else's platform. What would you say to that? And I 1000% agree. Like you want to have your own. So we do have our email list, right? You want to make sure that you have your own um, something that's kind of separate. You know, I will kind of say, you know, devil's advocate here that even your email list, if you have it on ConvertKit, ConvertKit can have a glitch and all of a sudden there goes all your emails anyways. Of course Ooh, you can export to Excel <laughs> every week or whatever, you know, but I mean, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you have to build a business, in my opinion, that has some kind of a recurring income factor to it. So um, if 100% of your monthly income is dependent on you getting a new client every single month or getting several new clients or customers every single month, that's a pretty exhausting business model, 
right? Mm-hmm. So you you want to have some kind of a recurring revenue um, component to your business, even if it's not, you know, because I know there's going to be some product-based businesses that are going to be like, well, hey, how do I do that? It's not necessarily getting your clients or getting your customers on a membership model or anything like that, but it's just making sure that you're focusing on getting repeat customers, right? Mm-hmm. Don't only mm-hmm. focus on getting new customers. And then when you get a customer, you don't love on them anymore. Like you want right. to get them coming back. So it's that kind of a concept. And I think that regardless of whether Instagram, Facebook, ConvertKit, Infusionsoft, if they all fail tomorrow, if you have a product or a service that people need, they're going to keep coming back to you. And then that's what you can build your foundation on versus, mm-hmm. you know, having to constantly get new clients from other sources. Okay. No, that's good. Um, So you've since expanded your business to include the coaching for other financial professionals, like you mentioned. First off, I just have to commend you for doing that, just being focused on the growth of your community, just above all the competition that we see online these days. So that's really commendable. But could you share what your mastermind program offers? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we... um, And that's actually to your original question that has gone through several iterations as far as our coaching side. So initially when I very first started, I was just doing one on uh, like one on one coaching because I'd have a lot of accounting professionals and things come and say, well, how do you how did you build your firm? And so I would do Mm -hmm. one on one coaching. And then that later evolved into um, live trainings where I would hold like a two day event here in Dallas and they'd fly down and we do the training that way. And then it's since evolved from there because we can only do that so often and I can only support so many people one on one. So now with our mastermind, it's almost like a group coaching. Um, we have a six month version and a nine month version. Um, we go through the similar types of content as far as how do you get your marketing together? How do you um, put your packages together, your pricing? Um, how do you build out your team, your workflows, all of that? We go through similar information. One is just more accelerated than the other. So mm-hmm. one is like for those who um, are, have already started their firm and they just need more of a push. And then one is for those who haven't started at all and they're about to get started. So really at the end of the day, we go through all things and how to build your business. So we have, um, I do have a digital version out there, a digital coaching program called Six Figure Firms. And so that's out there. But um, most people, what we would find, they'd buy the course, they'd go through the course, and then they're like, okay, well, what's next? And so that's why we have the mastermind. It's for those who are like, okay, I want more, or I want one-on-one time with you to talk through it. So, um, so yeah, because this industry is evolving, mm-hmm. it's not what it used to be 20 years ago. My mom can tell you that she's an accountant and, you know, we have to evolve with it. You know, now we can do virtual accounting. We couldn't do that 20 years ago. People wanted their accountant in the office with them. Um, you can do taxes for anybody in the world, really. You know, you can be in Bali doing taxes for your client in Texas. It's fine, you know, so, but you have to evolve with it and you have to make sure your marketing and all of that works so that people understand that they can trust you um, with understanding the most intimate part of their business um, mm-hmm. in a virtual aspect. So, um, but yeah, we, we definitely do the, uh, the coaching. Okay. You also recently launched a podcast. Congratulations yeah. on that. The Level Up podcast. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So why did you think it was time to take that step? Yeah. So I realized that, um, all of the conversations that I was having with myself (laughs) about business needed to just get, you know, recorded and shared because Mm -hmm. I would literally sit in here, especially after Natalie, who's operations manager, once she left the office, it was just kind of me in here again. And so I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go on a tangent about something and I'm like, Oh, 
you know, workflows. And so all of a sudden I'm just talking to myself about workflows and, you know, and I'm like, wait a second, I need to like record this and just share this. So I realized it was just time to share some of those, um, those tangents <laughs> that are really, it's business tips and tools. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I just launched it, you know, not too long ago, maybe a, not even a month ago. And, um, I already have a few episodes out there. So very, very excited about that. It's all about business. There's going to be an occasional life, you know, trick or, or hack in there. Um, but it is definitely all things business. Ooh, you've done a lot so far. So what's next for the finance then? Ooh, what's next? You know, I just <laughs> literally this morning had a team uh, go-to meeting call with the entire team. We were on there and we were talking about 2020 planning. And mm-hmm. so with that, we were talking about what everyone's Q4 objective is. And so really with 2020 and just with the, the growth, it's all going to be about, um, you know, making sure that we have a solid team. So we're definitely going to be hiring a few more individuals uh, so that we can continue to scale out the business. And I think that's really the main thing is to just continue to grow the virtual CFO side of our business um, so that we can continue to support more women because we're getting messaged by women all the time who are wanting assistance. And because of the level of sensitivity of how we support our clients, we want to make sure everything is is set and structured first before we take on any more clients. Mm. So literally right now, we're not taking on any more clients for the next month or so and wow. continue to bring on more people on the team and get everything structured. But yeah, it's just going to be to continue to grow the virtual CFO side. Um, we're going to launch that mastermind for the accounting coaching um, twice a year. We're just going to stick to that routine and um, just continue to, to help more women. Ooh, well, on that note, Kendra, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Where can our listeners connect with you after they hear this episode? Yeah, uh, so the website is thefinancefem.com. So fem is F-E-M-M-E. So thefinancefem.com. And then our Instagram is at, uh, at thefinancefem. And yeah, I don't in the podcast. I guess I got to start mentioning, <laughs> mentioning that now. So the podcast is called Level Up Podcast and the easiest way to find it, because there's a couple in there with Level Up in the name, the easiest way to find it is to search Level Up and then Kendra. So Level Up Kendra and you'll be able to find it pretty easily. But um, yeah, would love to, to connect with all of your listeners and I appreciate you for having me on this podcast. I've listened to several of your episodes. You have such a dope podcast. Thank so, you. I appreciate the invite. Hi, Offscripters. I'm so glad you made it to the end of this episode. If you enjoy listening to our show, please pay it forward by sharing us with your network. Between episodes, you can find me on Instagram. Our handle is at She's Offscript, or you can catch up on past episodes at She's Offscript.com. See you on the next one.